I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. It's funny, I, I you know, I don't think I could be with someone who who didn't make me laugh, you know. I, that probably makes me sound very, very shallow no. or something, but no. hum, sense of humour is always the first thing for me you know like that girl from Cork with the bike like she must have she must have been really really funny I was hoping that you were going to say that that was Mary in the end (laughs) author and all round funny man Paul Howard is my guest this week he talks to me about the madness of the Howard household how Anglo the musical nearly brought him to his knees and gives me an insight into a certain Ross O'Carroll Kelly I hope you enjoy Paul Howard, you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life. Thanks very much. I, I, I've reached that age in life where uh, I, I, I'm nervous when my friends ring, right? Yeah. Well, I tell you why, because I have this recurring nightmare that I'm going to get a phone call. It's going to be a friend. He's going to say, Paul, you know, it's Peter. And I'll say, hey, Peter, how are you? And he'll say, not good. I've only got six months to live. <laughs> and I'll say, thank God for that. I thought you were going to tell me you'd started a podcast. <laughs> Right, like, like oh I only know, <laughs> I only know about six people who don't have a podcast. It's amazing, and I love meeting those people. But I, I'm in mortal fear that they're going to say, "By the way, uh, to tell you about my new podcast," and then I, and then I know I'm on it. Like you know, and I've done everyone's. Like I'd say, I'd say I've done 150 podcasts. But dear, where where this is where this is coming to is, it's a pleasure to do your podcast because you're you. someone who's always made me laugh. I- uh, from the very first time I I saw your um, your Insta stories, uh, and I I laughed myself and Mary, my wife, we laughed our heads off when we saw those, and followed you right the way through. So oh. so it's a pleasure to come and do your podcast, but it will be the last. Okay, good. <laughs> so I can say that exclusively, his last ever. I'm retiring from podcasts officially. <laughs> okay, Paul, your first memory of laughter. Um. We we always had laughter in our house growing up. I don't actually remember the first time. I, I think I was probably very, very young. Um, you know, we lived in a house where there was just always laughter. My dad is very, very funny. Uh, my mum was funny. My brothers are all funny, you know. And we that was what mealtimes were like that in our house. We were all just competing with each other to see who could say the funny thing, you know, the thing that would make everyone drop the cutlery. And it was always a funny house. Like our friends used to come. And I remember when I was about 11, a friend of mine called Tim came to the house for the first time. And we told my dad that Tim was deaf and that he'd have to shout for Tim to hear him, right? And then we told Tim that my dad was deaf. So he'd so he'd have to he'd have to shout to be heard, right? So Tim comes in and uh, he shouts, Hello, Mr. Howard! And my dad goes, because he's, da- he's shouting at him, Dad thinks Tim is deaf. This is confirmation. So Dad goes, Hello, Tim, it's nice to meet you. You too, Mr. Howard. I see your paint in the hall there. Yeah, What colour is it going to be when it's finished? This went on for about five minutes. We're in the kitchen, just doubled over laughing. And then my mum comes down the stairs and she says... Why is everybody shouting? Like, then there's the big reveal, like, you know? And that's kind of what our house was like, you know? We were always, we were always encouraged uh, to see the funny side of life, you know, to, to, to laugh. At, we laughed at everything, you know, everything, good things and bad things. Um, 
my mother had uh, my mother had a sense of humor. She she liked things that were bold, like you know, yeah. Like she didn't like she didn't like kind of destructive things. But if she thought something was a bit bold, she liked like she used to tell her when she was younger. Her and her sister Anne. Uh, were just like you know off the lead like you know they were just <laughs> always up to mischief yeah. and she would tell us these stories and she kind of liked that in us you know she liked that kind of light-hearted uh she liked light-heartedness in us and she liked our sense of divilment you know like one of my uh outstanding memories of my mother uh from my childhood is uh we used to have this christmas bazaar in school and uh, they had a, a kind of a tin stall a you know, prepared food, like uh, pre-packed foods. So uh, we had to go around door to door with a shopping trolley saying, I'm collecting for the St. Lawrence College uh, annual Christmas bazaar. Do you have anything out of your cupboard you could give us, you know? So people generally give you like a tin of peas or something like that. (laughs) And I got all this stuff home, uh, put it all out on the table. And me and a friend of mine called Jason Dunn, we started cutting the labels off the tins and swapping them around, right? (laughs) So... Like a tin of peas, we put the label from a tin of peas on a on a tin of mixed fruit, and <laughs> the prune one went on the beans, and the beans one went on <laughs> on the prunes, and ultimate uh, boys, yeah, such a boy. But it was kind of it was kind of clever, like you know, I think it was clever. Fair anyway, uh, so my mother came in and she said, "What are you doing?" And I said, oh, I was swapping all the labels uh, around on the tins. And I think Jason was a bit shocked that I would be that upfront with my mother, but I kind of knew she'd like it, you know. And she went, right, I better get you the good glue. And she went and got me the Evo stick, which she used to keep for special projects where the glue had to hold, you know. What a legend. Yeah, that was, that was the way our house was. It was... You know, if it's a good gag, you know, we'll go with it, you know. Do you think that could have been down to the fact that it was all boys? It was all boys in your family, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was purely down to that, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we're from, I think there's a gene, there's a mad gene in in the family, like, you know. <laughs> like, when we were growing up, my dad used to always say to me, with this really grave face on him, he'd say, if anyone ever asks you if we're related to the Mad Herods from Dunabate, just say no. <laughs> and... I said to him about a year ago, do you remember that thing you used to say to us when we were kids, like, uh, you know, <laughs> deny if, if you're... I said, who were the Mad Herds from Dunabate? And Dad said, we're the Mad Herds <laughs> from Dunabate. And there's a strain of that, like, all my dad's brothers were hilarious. He's from a family of boys as well. And when they got together, it was... I mean, it was hard hat humor, like, you know, everybody got ripped in the room. And uh, that's just that's just the way they were. Like, that's just what the family was like. Um, and then and then it was but it was nice to have that. And it was just it was a joyous thing. You know, I mean, when I think back on my childhood, I just think of laughter. I just think of fun. And I know not everybody is lucky enough to have that in their in their backgrounds. You know, like my granny, my mother's mother used to come to the house. And she never said a bad word in her whole life, right? Mm. And can I swear on this? Of course. So she never said a bad word in her life. And this was a kind of, she used to tell us, I've never, ever sworn. And I and she was upset about something. Maybe something one of the neighbours had said to her to upset her, you know. And I said, Granny, do you never just feel like coming out the front door and just saying to her, fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. And her, like Granny was... Granny was about 88 at the time, like, you know, and her face just dropped. And I said, just try it. Like, just say, fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. And she said, no, I'm not saying that. So I said, well, what if I 
what have I made an interest? And I put 50, 50 quid down on the table, right? And uh, now I'm not saying it. So my brother came in, so what's going on? So I'm trying to get granny to say this, you know, so he puts money down. Anyway, in the end, we had a pot of about 250 quid <laughs> in the middle of the table. And granny just went, fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. And then collected the money, <laughs> put it in her purse. And then about three days later, she saw the neighbor she was coming out of a house and she saw the neighbor and she waved at her and granny said, I just thought of fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. And she said she laughed so much. She she wet herself. No. And she had to go back into the house and change her, her trousers. <laughs> oh, my God. But she didn't say it. No, no, but she thought it she like thought. and it was kind of enough for her, like, you know, to think because we were doing the action. We said, do that as well. You know, the. <laughs> The clenched fist and the, you know, for, you do it from the uh, from the elbow. You just swing your arm like that. <laughs> Fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. And uh, so that's kind of what it was like at home. Like it was a it was a house just full of laughter. Crack. And we lived in this council estate in Ballybrack, and it was it was it was brilliant. Like, but it was a jungle. You know, it was yeah. like you went. You had to have a sense of humour to survive. You know, otherwise yeah. you were you know you were dead. Like. Which brings us nicely to our next question. Well. Statement. I don't know what it is. Question. First time you felt laughed at? Well, I always felt laughed at, like, because I was very odd. Like, <laughs> you know, I was very odd, like, inside and out as a kid, you know. Like, I I, I looked odd. My circumstances what? were odd. Like, you know, odd oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, w- like, we were born in England, right? Yes. And my dad uh, said that if Margaret Thatcher won the 1979 election, we were moving to Ireland, right? And we just thought, he was joking. Like we thought, you know, all Americans said, if Donald Trump gets in, we're going to Canada. Yes. We thought it was like that. And then one day we came home from school and all of our toys were in boxes. <laughs> and we moved to Ireland, like, you know. And no one was moving from England to Ireland in 1979. Yeah. Everybody was going the other way. Yeah. Like, there was no future in Ireland. So they took us back to Ireland. And it was a time of what you would say heightened uh, Republican tension yeah. in Ireland, like, yeah. you know, heightened nationalist tension. Uh, we arrive in, in school with these Grange Hill accents, you know, all right, mate, do what? Watch out. We're, we're like the kids from Bed Knobs and Broomstick or something <laughs> like, you know, these stupid accents. And then the hunger strikes were on kind of the following year, about 18 months later. So mm. there's all this tension in school and we're going to school with English accents. I mean, we it was kind of ludicrous, you know. And uh, I remember I had, gla- I had national health glasses, like the kind of old... Uh, thick ones. Big, thick, black ones, yeah. you know. Very unfashionable Buddy Holly type glasses. And uh, I had been, I'd been in an accident... I went down a hill on a shopping trolley and uh, the trolley... As you do. Hit the, it was a kind of dare thing, you know, Howard, <laughs> get in the trolley, get in the trolley, got in the trolley. They pushed me down the hill. No brakes, obviously, on the Goube shopping trolley. <laughs> and I hit a curb and went over and split, broke my glasses. So for about a year, I had this uh, plaster g- kind of Band-Aid oh. holding the earpiece on, right? So then completing the look, uh, I was at the dart station one day and a kid came up behind me and pulled my legs from under me I had my hands in my pockets and I fell on my face and smashed my front tooth and uh, I was given it's a jungle you know it's a jungle (laughs) like that's it you know you know you don't ask what that's for like the antelope doesn't turn around to the line and go what's your deal just having a good day there it's just what you got it's what you get today you know one day you might score the winning goal in a match (laughs) 
tomorrow somebody might come up behind you and break your tooth <laughs> so the, the, I got a temporary crown on this tooth right and it was silver I don't know why it was silver I don't know why they couldn't have made it white yeah. but for a year I had this silver tooth front tooth <laughs> the glasses I looked emaciated like I was really really skinny little kid and this English accent right so I, I, I mean, I didn't even ask what they laughing at me. I knew I was being laughed at, like, you know. So I joined, when I joined secondary school, the tooth was gone. I got a white cap and uh, I joined secondary school and I looked, I looked like a kind of five-year-old Buddy Holly. That's, I looked like Buddy Holly's son. And I was in this school and I'm sitting there one day and I hear, uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking around, like I was in library period and I was kind of looking around me and then suddenly I feel the shadow over me and I put my head down and I hear this grown-up voice say, that's the third time I've seen you look up. I want you to write uh, lines. And I just got the page out. I didn't even look up. I was terrified. And he said, I want you to write, if you knew Peggy Sue, then you'd know why I feel blue without Peggy, my Peggy Sue. And I wrote it out, right? And I did about 100 of these lines in this library period. It's Buddy Holly song, like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it was only at the end of the library period I looked over and it was a bunch of six years. <laughs> no! So, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was, I kind of always felt, I always kind of felt laughed at, like, you that was, know? So it was a tough age. What age were you when you moved to Ireland? We were, um, I think we were probably, I was eight. Like, that's yeah. a tough age. Because yeah. you've kind of established, like, you'd obviously establish your school friends. Yes. Well, it's probably young enough that you were all right. <laughs> it, was a, it was tough. It was hell, like, you know? We... I mean, we lived in this really kind of genteel little bubble world, like, you know, where yeah. we had a teacher who came in and read Pam Ayres poems to us. And we all laughed at the Pam Ayres poems. And suddenly I'm in Ireland and I'm sitting in the office of Mr. Cahill, who's the principal of the school, Des Cahill's dad, as it turns out. Mad. And I'm looking around the walls and, you know, there's a proclamation of independence, uh, a picture of Michael Collins in his army gear. And I'm just thinking... Are we at fucking war with this country? Like, there's a fucking war on. Like, I grew up in England. I didn't know. I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, you know, all about the English executing our leaders. And I'm kind of suddenly feeling very, very English, you yeah. know. But um, we went and um, I remember uh, as a teenager being laughed at as well, because it was kind of awkward, like, you yeah. know. And I remember, but I kind of pl- I kind of went along with the joke. I think when you're laughed at, there does come a point where you kind of fu- find it funny yourself. Like, I love that song, uh, James, Sit Down. There's a great line in that. Those who find themselves ridiculous, sit down next to me. I've always found myself ridiculous. Always. Yeah. And it's a very healthy thing to at least once a week just sit down, have a good laugh at yourself. You know, <laughs> just how utterly ridiculous you are. But when I was a teenager... Uh, I went to Irish college. I was about 13, I suppose, 14. Went to Irish college to try and learn Irish. And uh, met this girl, like, you know, and really liked her. She's from Cork. And I came home, right? And all the, all my friends are like, oh, yeah, how's the girl? Any girls, any girls? And I go, yeah, yeah, I met this girl from Cork. Like, you know, she's great. And they're all saying, uh, you know, just describe her like, you know, I couldn't really remember what she looked like. So we didn't have these, we didn't have phones like where you could have, you had your photos instantly. <laughs> I had a roll of film in my pocket that I had to drop up to the chemist to develop like, and I couldn't really remember. So I was describing her and I probably, I probably misremembered how beautiful she was <laughs> like, you know, and uh, I probably oversold her to the lads like, you know. Yeah, but that's normal. Yeah. 
completely normal. But they said, well, when are you getting your photos developed, right? So I left it for the whole summer, right? I was just, I wasn't getting these pictures developed because I had this feeling that she may not have been, like, you know, in the in the Gwail talk, like, and, yeah. and like, like, no, there was no kind of high fashion or anything. No. Like, you know, we were, we were all, it was me and about uh, 50 or 60 people from the country, like, yeah. you know, and they, everyone was wearing stonewash stonewashed denim yes guys. remember stonewashed yeah. denim when the Berlin Wall <laughs> fell and all that bad denim ran in from from East Germany into the West and that was what it was like you know and I kind of had some sense of this and that, that even in that context she may have appeared to be a beauty to me at the time I mean I was no beauty myself but I mean you know I'm sure she wasn't saying I just met Tom Cruise right. like you know yeah. <laughs> Dublin's answer to Tom Cruise and uh, so but anyway my friends in sit, like they called me every single day during the summer, right? Knowing that I would have to get these photographs developed. <laughs> they broke me in the end. And I brought the, I brought the roll of film up to the chemist. And then it was like every day they're calling, when are you getting them? Tuesday. All right, we'd be there Tuesday. And they walked, they basically frog marched me up to Ballybrack Village, right? <laughs> to get the photographs. And I, I'm, I get them. And, and there's that, the thing is snatched out of my hand, the little pouch of the pictures in outside the chemist and the lads are going through them. And is it her? Is it her? Is it her? And then eventually, yeah, I, we come to the picture of her. And <laughs> I remember the picture really well because we were walking home from the Cayley and she was pushing a, a push bike, like a proper like bone shaker push bike with a basket on the front. And I have my arm around her. She had a really bad perm. Really. <laughs> Jesus. It was, it was a terrible kind of Dallas 1984 type perm, no. like, you know, and shoulder pads. She had this kind of, oh, <laughs> anyway. I lived. I that that was brought up for years afterwards. So like, was she? You know? not, was she like bad? Like, did they slag you? Were they like? I, thought, I mean, I really liked her. Like, and you know, like I, I was mad about her at the time. You know, but then I could never. I never wrote to her again after after the lads gave me the verdict. Yeah, like, if you don't that get was, the lads' approval. What's no, the point? No, especially when you're 14. Like, yeah, if they found out we were still pen, pen pals, like you know, yeah, that yeah. would have. Uh, no, that wouldn't have gone down Your very well. Your credentials would have been. But I suppose so. That was it. I always kind of felt laughed at like I even now like I, I have a kind of um you know I, I've got this sort of Larry David life like I just like I just constantly put my foot in things like you know we were in we were in Italy last year and uh I persuaded Mary to come see a, f- a football match with me you know and it was um it was Roma against Atletico Madrid, Champions League match you know I was so excited about it you know walking up to the ground got the tickets on the way into the Olympic Stadium and a woman comes up to me with her arms out to give me a hug. So I walk over and I give her a hug and Mary says, Paul, she's trying to search you. <laughs> <laughs> right? No! She's, in, she's a member of the security staff <laughs> and I'm giving her a hug, right? <laughs> At the height of the Me Too <laughs> business. And there I am, inappropriate Se- semi-sexual contact with a stranger. Oh, God. How did Mary not leg so, it forever? Because she's kind of used to it, like, you know? <laughs> it's kind of, like, I, there's lots of that kind of stuff goes on. That's we, what she loves about you. No, I don't think it is at all, you know? Ah, come on. <laughs> we were in a restaurant <laughs> recently. And we were, pay- I, was, I was going up to pay and I was paying for it. We were out with our in-laws, with my in-laws, Mary's mom and dad, and I was going up to pay afterwards, you know, and I didn't want to 
create a scene at the table so I just went up and Mary was already up there so we kind of were whispering in that conspiratorial way we're just going to pay you know yeah. and uh, so the woman winks at me you know and uh, I give her a big leathery wink back and we're walking back to the table and Mary says what the fuck are you doing and I said what she said that woman only has one eye right she wasn't winking at me she, she had one eye no no. Yeah, and it was sewn up like, you know, it was kind of stitches, stitches along there. So kind of, uh, that's, I kind of got, I kind of got used to being laughed at as, as a, at probably 12 years of age, right. maybe even earlier. And, it and I've just stopped. kind of gone with it. And I, I laugh at myself like it. Yeah. It's a very healthy thing. Like, I think not it is. To, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. take yourself too seriously. No. Well, I do that too. But yeah, then, yeah, I, yeah. But then I, I, the antidote <laughs> is to laugh at yourself gotcha. occasionally. Gotcha. Okay, Paul. The moment when, if you didn't laugh... You'd cry. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was it was doing Anglo the musical. It was six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, I'd written a script for. Uh, I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, a puppet. It was going to be a puppet show, uh, kind of like Avenue Q, based on the the financial crisis. Mm. Uh, Anglo, all the rest. We'd Sean Fitzpatrick puppet, David Drum puppet, all the rest. And I'd written all these funny songs and um, and we'd booked the Borgosh Energy Theatre for two weeks for, for the run. And then just as we were about to go into rehearsals, uh, there were charges in the Anglo case, which meant that everything, everything we did was uh, going to be in contempt of court, was mm-hmm. potentially in contempt of court. So we had um, this sort of standoff that went went on for a few months where... Uh, Sean Fitzpatrick's lawyers were telling us to not go ahead with the show. The DPP was telling us not to go ahead with the show. Um, and we decided to go ahead with the show. Uh, just purely on the basis that the, the promoters had spent so much money contracting actors, yeah. um, you know, commissioning the music and booking the theatre out and all this kind of thing. And the fine, I think the fine... For, for being in te- contempt of court was about 50 grand or something and they'd, they'd spent a lot more than that. So we decided to plow on and it was, we had this sort of 10-week nightmare mm-hmm. of every single day something else went wrong, whether it was, you know, threats of high court injunctions. Um, you know, I, I thought I thought I was going to lose the house at one stage. It looked quite likely I was going to have to sell the house to to pay legal bills and stuff like that. And um, so it so it was horrible. And then right, right in the middle of this, we, uh, we decided uh, under threats, we got pulled from the Late Late Show. We were supposed to go on the Late Late Show on a Friday night and we were pulled at four o'clock, I think, Stop. for legal reasons. The lawyers saw the song and they just said, you can't do that. And, and then we were suddenly toxic. No one would touch us. And we needed a big Late Late Show to sell tickets for it, like, you mm. know. And uh, so anyway, it was all falling apart, but it was the show must go on. And we're still in rehearsals every day. And and then every day, a little, something else is happening. Like there's a new development. So the, we eventually agreed to take the Sean Fitzpatrick puppet out of the play. And we were threatened with the idea was if we didn't do it, they would go to the high court and injunct the show and stop it going ahead. So we took it out and we renamed the character something else. And Vaughn Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was, we called him Rich. And uh, so, so we had a a human playing him. The idea was he was going to be the the only human character and all the rest were puppets. And that kind of suited us, you know, but anyways, on the front page of the Irish times, it said Hamlet without the prince. And, uh, 
and then Ray Darcy asked me to come on the show and I'd been on Ray Darcy a few weeks earlier saying how we're going to do this we're going to put it put it it's going to go ahead the show must go on etc etc and then I'm on the show basically saying will you know Ray's asking me will you give people their money back so (laughs) I say it's sort of you know it, it was too serious to laugh at but even within that, there's moments of levity. So I was sitting in a in a restaurant at the top of South William Street with Darren Smith, who was the co-producer yeah. of the show. And Darren is telling me what to say on Ray Darcy and what not to say. And we're going through all the contingencies of if he says this, you say this. If he says that, you say that. Yeah. And, and I, he's basically briefing me. And I just looked to my right and Ian Bailey was sitting at the next table, right? Yeah. Fucking mad, like Ian Bailey. <laughs> What the fuck? It was just so surreal that, like, we've got this shitstorm going on here. <laughs> and I just look, and there's Ian Bailey just having a cup of coffee, like, you know? And um, I couldn't stop. I just kept looking. Like, his eyes kept being drawn to. Like, fucking really, Ian Bailey. So, anyway, Darren's still briefed me. And then, in the end, Darren just said to me, but the thing to remember is, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And I went, yeah? Try telling that poor fucker that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> So, but it was, it was, it was a funny time. Like I remember like the DPP, eventually what happened was the DPP asked to see the script three days before we opened and they demanded all these changes like the night before we opened. So we did, I sat up the night before we opened and rewrote, I had to rewrite 16 scenes, new dialogue, uh, new lyrics for songs. Some songs had to be dropped on on their instructions, and they said, "Unless you comply with these instructions, we will injunct the show in the High Court tomorrow morning." So I had to rewrite the whole show, and I'm going in on the day of the first preview, asking actors, actors. "Do you think you might sing that oh, instead? And do you think you could get that line in somewhere just to say we're middle management, just so <laughs> they don't think it's senior management in the bank?" And how did they react to that? Well, I mean, as you would expect professional actors to act, to look at me like I was insane. Yeah. Like they've learned their cues over over the course of four weeks and, and I'm just asking them to say stuff just to satisfy lawyers. And so, I mean, it was amazing. We, we Some of the lines we asked them to say, they didn't say. And, you know, we had to run into the dressing rooms at the interval uh, to say, do you think you can say it in the second act? Because sitting two rows in front of me in the theatre on the uh, opening night, there's... Uh, three or four solicitors and they're writing down all the jokes on yellow legal pads I mean it was really really terrifying but the day we opened I remember uh, we had this so we, so we had to drop a big song at the end of Act One and it was called It's Just Like Robbing a Bank and it was kind of it was kind of our version of what's the one from Guys and Dolls Sit Down You're Rocking the Boat mm-hmm. really energetic song and we had these cannons that were going to shoot money into the audience <laughs> fake money and it was such a big end to Act One and we were told you cannot under any circumstances uh, perform that song in public uh, so we dropped the song and anyway we're, I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the theater on the day, and we're like I've I've been up all night, haven't slept, I've been up all night, and we're we're kind of trying talking to the actors, and then I'm just sitting in this office, and I'm kind of nodding off, uh, at, sitting at a desk, and I look up, and there was a girl opposite me. I didn't know what she was doing, 
uh, or I, I wasn't paying attention to her or something, you know. And then I finally was paying attention to her. And I noticed what she was doing was she had a ruler and a black marker. And she had a thousand theater programs. Uh, and she was redacting the name of the song out of every no. single theater program individually. And that was the moment I just had like a breakdown. I just I, I just I just walked out of the theater and just, you know, I thought, you know. I, I, I'm not thinking rationally, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm close to the edge here, you know. Did you have a cry? Oh, I mean, I was crying all the time. Like I cry, <laughs> it's just like crying all the time for about ten weeks, you know. Um, and 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 sometimes, you know, just out of the blue, halfway through dinner, just have a bit of a cry, mashed potato in my mouth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really serious, like, you know, and we we get together now and especially Darren, because me, me and Darren, we get together and we tell our war stories like yeah. about how bad it was for both of us. But it, it, was, it was pretty, it was really, really horrendous, like to feel kind of, you know, especially the DPP, the forces of the state kind of telling you, no, that's something you're not allowed to joke yeah. about, you know. Scary. Yeah. Would you change it? Yeah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh, no, I was hoping yeah. you'd be like, I wouldn't oh, change no, it for the no, world. No. I learned so much. Darren, Darren bought, got me this great thing. It's on my, my wall in my office at home. And it's just a, the poster of Anglo the Musical. <laughs> and underneath, he had an inscription put on it. It just says, we fought the law and we won. But <laughs> yes. it didn't really feel like that. No. You know, it was really, it was incredibly stressful. Mm. Um, it was so risky. It was a really risky thing to do. Uh you know, to to sign a contract to write a show like that when when there could be charges pending, and I I didn't think it through. You know, yeah. I had to tell Mary like one day. You know, we might lose the house. How did I she mean, react to that? She just said, "That's fine. We'll deal with it." You know, that's Mary. Like you know, she, that's how she deals with stuff. And yeah. uh, but I mean, the unforgivable thing really is I didn't. I never. I never got anyone to read the contract that I signed. And what makes it worse is Mary is a contract solicitor. It's what she does for a living. So we know you, you know joking. now you know why I laugh at myself, why I find myself ridiculous. Um, I mean, you couldn't write that. No, no, I couldn't. The DPP would probably stop me. <laughs> okay, right. Moving along. Your no laughing matter moment, Paul. That was kind of a bit of a no laughing. Yeah, matter. but even within that, there was fun. Like you know, there was there was levity within that. Uh, I suppose my mum dying, like, is 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 it really? I mean, this is it's the you know the darkest. I mean, I say darkest, like, because you know I had a great relationship with my mother. We we uh, I'd say it was a relationship characterized by laughter mostly and fun. And when she died, there was absolutely nothing I I I hadn't said to her that remained unsaid. You know, we had a really kind of great open relationship, and uh, but. Yeah, I mean, that's the saddest. I mean, it's the saddest time of my life. Like, mm. you know, she was she was young. She's only 10 years older than I am now when she died, you know. So she's 58 and uh, at, a, at a really cruel time um, as well because, you know, my dad was going to retire at 60 and they were going to have all this time together. And, you know, it's a hard life raising raising four kids, you know, four boys. Um and 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 this was their reward at the end of it that they were fi- they finally were going to have some financial security. They'd started to go on holidays again, which they hadn't when, when all our lives. They never went out for a meal. They never went for a drink. Everything was was put into us, put into their boys, mm. and um, you know, just it, it was the horrible cruelty of it. Like that, the, just that age, and it happened so quickly. You know, between her diagnosis, she died. She had breast cancer, and. Um, 
and she between the diagnosis uh, and and her dying was less than a year. It was about ten months. Oh my God. So it wasn't even there wasn't even a long time uh, for her or us to kind of reconcile to what was happening. It was just kind of it it just takes on its momentum. You know, there's there's a period of treatment where there's hope, and then there's a period when the treatment doesn't respond, and it's about how long and you know how can we prolong the lot you know what can we do to prolong it and she had chemotherapy and you know as often happens with chemotherapy chemo was the thing that killed her really because it just totally depleted her Mm -hmm. um her ability to fight uh infection and she got a chest infection at easter time and and uh you know it was um you know it was probably within a month uh, she died right. but you know it's funny it, like I mean I don't I remember it as a really sad period but I don't I don't remember it as a dark period um, like m- my mother was a very very optimistic person uh, and like I, I remember about, she's a really friendly person like you know everybody everybody in Ballybrack still talks about my mother because you, you met her on the road and she was she's just so open she had this lovely smile and she stopped she was interested in everybody she talked to everyone and I remember just about two days before she got really sick before she went into hospital we were in Dunleary and she had this thing about dolls houses she loved big dolls houses and I think she was going to get one. Like, I think she had a doll's house as a kid and, and, and her retire when she, when we were all raised and that was going to be her retirement. She was going to start decorating doll's houses. And we were passing by this house in Dunleary and they had uh, a doll's house in the window. And my mom was going, oh my God, look at that doll's house. And then she just presses the doorbell, which would have been typical of my mom. Like, you know, it was like, it was like, well, of course you, you knock on the door and admire the, do- the doll's house. Like, you know, so the, they came out to the door the woman of the house came to the door and my mom said oh, I just love your doll's house so the woman brings us in like and then we're Stop. having tea in the kitchen and then they, you know that turns out they're kind of they were a similar age and she said oh, did you know such and such they knew they had so many friends in common and and that's that's how my mother moved through the world it was it, it, it was just a series of people you hadn't met yet, you know, and yeah, yeah. kind of connections you hadn't made, you know. And that's my last mem, my last read. Like apart from her being sick in the hospital, that's my last memory of her being well. And it's it's a nice memory, you know. So I mean, it's not. It, it wasn't. Again, it wasn't a. It wasn't a time characterized by humor, but there was humor there. Like mm-hmm. you know, like we would have still been la- trying to make my mum laugh when she was sick and stuff, yeah. you know. My, she, my mom had, she suffered with her health and about, you know, 10 years before she died, she had a, she had a thing called lupus. Yeah. And uh, it was really debilitating, uh, affected her lungs and her breathing and stuff like that. And I remember one day she was in Lachlanstown Hospital uh, and she was sick. She was there for about a week, a week and a half. And I, w- I was making her laugh, you know, and she couldn't, she couldn't breathe and she kept, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> But we couldn't help it when we were around each other, me and one. We just had the same sense of humour, especially for like the saying the unsayable. You just sort of say it out of the corner of your mouth and make the other one laugh. <laughs> and when I went up to see her the next day, the nurses said, your mother's left and uh, notice with us that you're not to be admitted to the ward. Stop. And just sent home. They sent me home. Because <laughs> in case I... In, she she knew it wasn't good for her making her oh laugh, you know. God. But that was just, that's kind of, that was our house. And what about your dad then? That's hilarious, like, you know. 
he's again he's a good form yeah yeah he's great you know he's just kind of you know he he went through tough years afterwards you know but when he retired uh, he he decided he was going to go back to doing what he did when he was younger. My dad was in the Merchant Navy when he was younger. So, you know, by the, by his mid-20s, he'd been to about 70 countries. He had passports just full of stamps. And so he went back traveling again. And, and he did kind of big, big adventures. Like he, he went to Everest Base Camp and he went to Machu Picchu, Galapagos Islands. He hiked up Kilimanjaro. He went to Petra. Uh, just real kind of bucket list type stuff you know and then when he was ready about three or four years ago uh he sold the house mm-hmm. the house was kind of like a a museum to my mom like mm-hmm. you know so like she had this china doll collection and you know all of her stuff it was still her mark on the house yeah. it was very much her house and so it was a big thing for dad like you know to sell it mm-hmm. and and to get his own place like yeah. so he has a little bachelor pad now in Dunleary overlooking the, the sea I mean it's beautiful like, it's a one bedroom apartment it's perfect for him and the other thing is that you know that said I'm, I'm living in this four bedroom house I'm yeah. hoovering around seven beds I'm reading about a housing crisis I'm hoovering around seven empty beds yeah. every week as my mom says and, rattling around and yeah rattling around and um, so yeah he's got this this gaff in Dunleary and it, it kind of overlooks the harbour and he loves the sea because he was a he was a sailor you know and uh, Popeye and uh, but he's doing great like you know he's really he's really um, he's really great and again he faces everything with Mm humour like you know it's always it's always the way (laughs) I have this uh, uncle I had this uncle and uh, he was mad like you know really like brilliant fun hilariously like he'd ring you up and sing Christy Moore songs down the phone (laughs) drunk like at like two in the morning and stuff and he's brilliant but he died in really bizarre really bizarre circumstances he was hanging off the parapet of a bridge in in england and he was there was a plaque dedicated to michael portillo or michael portillo's dad or something on the bridge and he hated the tories my uncle and he was trying to kick the plaque off and he fell in the water drowned like you know yeah he fell in the water drowned and um at his funeral this uh scottish guy (laughs) drunk Scottish tramp came up to my dad <laughs> and said, uh, if it's any consolation, he managed to kick the plaque down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that is as dark yeah. as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of... <laughs> we talk about that story all the time, like, you know, in our house. There's like, there is, there's, there's always... That's the lesson of life, I think. Yeah. There's always humour. We look, and Irish people in particular, look for humour in the darkest places. Yeah. And that's where, that's where you find the really, really good stuff. Yeah. What a way to go. Yeah. <laughs> in a funny way, it's kind of how he want, would have wanted to go as well. Like, you know, <laughs> just that he got the plaque. He kicked it off. Yeah, you nailed know? it. Yeah. Okay, Paul. The person that you always laugh with. Ah, Mary. I mean, you know, Mary's hilarious. Like, it's funny. I, I you know... I don't think I could be with someone who who didn't make me laugh. You know, that probably makes me sound very, very shallow no, or something. But no. hum, sense of humor was always the first thing for me. You know, like that girl from Cork with the bike. Like she must have, she must have been really, really funny. I like, was hoping that you were going to say that that was Mary in the end. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, but you know, but you know, over the years, I think that was always the it was always the thing that drew me to to not just girlfriends, friends as well. Like it was, it was sense of humor. 
Where did you meet Mary? We met in um, in Lily's Portello. If you don't mind. Yeah. Which is weird because she was never, she wasn't really a Lily's person and I wasn't a Lily's person. I was a Copperface Jack's person. <laughs> and um, Shameless plug, go see the musical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the music is excellent, by the way. I don't know if any of your listeners have heard it, but it, it really is superb stuff. Um, but, but yeah, we, we, we just happened to be there. But we're from very, very close. We're very near each other, like about, you know, I grew up about, as the crow flies, about, you know, half a mile away. Mad. Like Mary's from Lachlanstown. And, and you never knew her? No, she's she's a good bit younger than me, so like it would have been very right, you know, strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would have been very odd, actually. Yeah, um, but uh, but Mary makes me laugh. We laugh all the time, and um, often at me, uh, uh, sometimes at Mary. We laugh at each other's foibles, which is which is a very very healthy thing, you know. <laughs> we laugh at our dog Humphrey. I mean, he he's just brought given us so many funny moments like you know and uh uh i was walking through stevens green with him once and there was a man eating a sandwich on a park bench and i just i was distracted and i looked that way and when i turned back humphrey's mouth was closing around the sandwich (laughs) (laughs) he took the man's sandwich took it gone I didn't stop and go back or anything. I just kind of thought that's, you know, that's too embarrassing. Like, you know, the man can get another sandwich. And we think seagulls are the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Humphrey's the real enemy. He's always doing things that make us laugh. I have friends. Most of my friends are very, very funny as well. Like I've got, I've got this friend called Paul and um, he, he goes for kind of high stakes humor, like, like, like jaw dropping stuff. (laughs) You know, the higher the stakes, the better. (laughs) And he always makes me laugh. So we about five years ago, we were on Grafton Street, and there's a we had a few drinks, like, and there's a huge crowd gathered around this busker who's playing "Sweet Home Alabama." And it was amazing. It was a brilliant version of "Sweet Home Alabama." And he's got the he's got his little um, what do you call it speaker, the amp. Yeah, amp, yeah, yeah. It's blaring out "Sweet Home Alabama." There's a, there's a couple of hundred people gathered around enjoying the music, everyone singing along. Paul walks up and switches off the amp, right? <laughs> Like, you know, the kind of, and he's got, everybody is shouting at him, right? But he has this way of doing it that he's got this plausible face. (laughs) Like, because I was looking at him thinking, did that really just happen? But everybody is as well. So he reckons you get about five seconds before, before the lynch mob comes after you and you just have to do it and then just walk away. Don't look back. And he actually says, never look back. Just look straight ahead. So that's what he's saying as he's, as he's done it. Just look straight ahead. Keep walking. Plausible face. Commit. Yeah, yeah. And he, and, he, and he prides himself on the fact that he's never, no one's ever hit him, right? So he does this Muhammad Ali thing. He says, there's no marks on this pretty face, you know? <laughs> but he's hilarious. Like, but it's always stuff like that. It's always that kind of stuff where you, you take a breath and you say, did he really do that? <laughs> Nothing bad or vindictive no. or malicious or anything. No. It's just he likes... He likes to he likes high wire comedy without a net. That's what he that's his thing, you know. Okay, I hear you. Okay, a time, Paul, where you had the last laugh. I don't I don't know. I thought a lot about this one. I see I don't really it's tempting sometimes to kind of look at your life as a and and kind of read it read it as a narrative where there's lessons and this turned out well. I said I committed to this and then it all turned out well in the end. But life isn't really like that, you know. Um, and I don't think I'm the kind of person who who kind of, you know, thinks in that way about getting the last laugh. But I had this teacher at school 
And this bothers me clearly because I, I left school 31 years ago, right? So, so the fact that I still remember this. <laughs> I had this teacher at school who said to my mother at a parent-teacher meeting, uh, Paul is very Paul is very frivolous, isn't he? And he was a history teacher. And I, I, I got an A in history in the Leaving Cert, so I wasn't a dilettante. Like, yeah. I, was, I, was go- I was good in class. And there was something so deeply personal about, about, about that that it, it, it kind of wasn't saying, you know, he has a blind spot when it comes to European history. He just seems like the Irish one, or it wasn't saying even he's inattentive in class. It was, it was a kind of commentary on my personality that just sort of cut right to the center of me, you know? And it kind of it kind of supposed that uh, that there was something wrong with seeing the world the way I saw it, mm-hmm. the, the way about you know being a light-hearted person, not being an intensely serious person. I'm not an intensely serious person. I couldn't be. No. I can't be around intensely serious people. Uh, and there's all sorts of different. There's all sorts of different people. There's also all sorts of different personalities. Uh, and teachers, because a lot of what teachers do is is essentially crowd control, they like you to conform to one personality type. And it was almost like he was saying there isn't there isn't a place in the world for somebody who is frivolous and that you um you know, that you'll actually have to think about being becoming a different kind of person if you're going to make it in life, you yeah. know? And but I mean, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying, haha, I didn't and look at me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is something that really upset me at the time. And, you know, I, I won't deny it. There are times when I I still hear him say, I still hear it. It's like, funny, you know, are you being serious enough? You know, are you, should you not be intensely serious? You know, As, um, a friend of mine, her sister said to me recently, I was, I was just messing. Like, you know, I, I just like taking the piss. At, we were out in an event and I was joking about something. And uh, she says to me, uh, Paul, have you ever wondered how well your life could have turned out if you'd been a more serious person? (laughs) (laughs) If you're a failure, like, what? Which which I can laugh at now, like, you know. (laughs) But it is that thing that we, you know... It's 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 part of the same thing that totally undervalues comedy, like totally undervalues uh, what you do, for instance, yeah. and overvalues what other people in the so-called arts do. Comedy, comedy is never well reviewed in any guise in Ireland because uh, I think most I think most critics uh, consider laughter vulgar. They they don't trust it. It's an instinct in themselves that they don't really trust because it's a very laughter is a very visceral thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of critics, uh, television critics and theater critics in particular, uh, they like to watch comedy that makes them tick off in their head why something is funny on an intellectual level, but not laugh at it. Okay. And I think that's part of the same thinking that we're all, you know. The, 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 you know, there's that flipping inner, inner civil servant in our heads telling us you should be more serious. You yeah, know, you yeah. really should be more serious. What the world really needs is a lot more less serious people. I think. I think I so too. I could be wrong. I think so too. Okay. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, Paul, what would be for you? Uh, cheese. Cheese. 
Yeah, cheese. What kind? <laughs> any kind, yeah. you see. Any any kind. I would eat, like, I have to be, we, we do our shopping in Dunn stores on a Friday night and Mary has to drag me away from the Sheridan's <laughs> counter by the ankles, like, you know. <laughs> like, I'm just... Oh, I said, just going to get a little bit of cheese, you know, yeah. and then uh, and then he says, oh, you like cheddar? Yes, yeah, so you've got three cheddars there. You know, we, we, you know, if you tried this one, so I'm having the other one. And I just eat pounds and pounds of cheese like I just love it. I'm I just with you there. absolutely love it. And reading, I suppose reading is the other thing. It's the thing. It's the thing that really relaxes me is um, just getting a book and, and finding a quiet corner and uh, the dog will jump up on top of me. And having him lying across my lap there. Is he your best pal? Reading. Yeah, because we're together all the time, you see, because he comes to work with me. Yeah. Um, I have a house in Avoca in Wicklow where, where I work. And, you know, if I'm in Dublin, uh, I drive down and we commute down together. He hops in the back of the car. I'm in the front. Uh, he wakes me at about, I get up about half five most mornings. If I'm not out of bed by 29 minutes to six, he's in the kitchen going, <laughs> He's a basset hound, so they have this kind of low, low whine. Yeah. And he wakes me up. And, and what he does is when I go into him, we have, you know, five minutes of saying hello to each other. And then I put the kettle on. I turn around. He's back in bed asleep. <laughs> and, he, and then I, I'm trying to wake him to get in the car. It's like waking a teenager. It's like, you know, sh I'm shaking him. I'm picking him up, trying to carry him out of the house. Uh, and then weekends? Does he do the same thing? Uh, no, he doesn't. Because at weekends, we bring his bed into our room and he's allowed to sleep in our room so he knows that's the routine and yeah and he's very he's very happy with it like you know and um but we're together all day so we have a routine he sleeps in avoca at 11 o'clock he knows the postman comes just after 11 11 o'clock his body clock tells him postman's on the way he stares at the letterbox as soon as the postman's hand comes in he takes a run it and tries to take his fingers uh and then you know we go out at lunch he tells me when it's time for his lunch by two paws up on the side of the my chair and nudging my elbow. So I'm trying to type and my elbow keeps going up and down because <laughs> he keeps getting his nose under it. So I feed him, I walk him, then he naps for the afternoon. And then we, we so, sometimes we stay, but sometimes we drive back to Dublin in the car. So we're, we're around each other all the time. They're unreal, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. The way they know. Yeah. Well, he's my first ever dog. I didn't, I, I never had a dog. So I, I didn't know what a human animal relationship was, a human dog relationship in particular. And it's, um, oh, it, I mean, it's just so special. It's such a special bond. I always say the day humans socialized dogs was the best bit of business we ever did on <laughs> Earth. The best bit of business we ever did on this planet was that, was socializing dogs. We give them scraps of food and they just, the love they give us back and the loyalty and those lighthearted moments, you know. He, he, I put him outside the post office in Avoca once and I tied his lead to a park bench outside and he must have heard something in the distance that startled him. And he ra so he ran and dragged this big wrought iron bench behind him like a sled dog. He was running like a sled dog. This bench was bouncing up and down across the car park and he was heading for the main road. And I screamed and ran out of the post office and I, I finally caught up with him just before he hit the road, which is lucky, like he could have killed someone. And um, but the bench was in smithereens like it was like eight pieces. And cause I'm carrying the bench back and I'm dragging him back. And Mary, who runs the post office in Avoca, she I walked in. I said, I'm really sorry. I'll pay for any damage. And she's just tears rolling down her face. And she just said, you don't owe me any money after that. She oh, said, that's the funniest no. thing I've ever seen. You know? 
So, so that's how he's known in a Folk Village. He's the dog who broke Mary's it. bench in the post office. Okay, Paul, you're qu- actually before your quick fire round. I watch all of your tweets because I just think they're gas. And there was one something you tweeted recently. I couldn't stop. Like it's right. it's probably not the funniest thing by any means that you've tweeted, <laughs> but it was that you were in Starbucks. And there, was it Dunleary? <laughs> it was the guy ordering the coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was yeah. like, I'm going to need... I'm going to need an Americano. I'm going to need a cappuccino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could just see it. This yeah. douchebag. Oh, yeah. I turned around to him and said, all right, Wall Street. <laughs> we can't allow things like that to creep in in this country. <laughs> we can't. There are some things... We, we are Ireland. I was, I was in Stevens Green Shopping Centre one day and I'm on the escalator, right? And a guy behind me walking up, he's, I'm standing still, right? Because that's what escalators are for. But this guy's walking up the escalators. No. And he shouted, step to, uh, step to the right, step to the right, let people through. Like he was on the London Underground. No! It's not the London Underground. It's a bit, Firstly, the London Underground, you're going to be on that escalator if you stand still for about five minutes, right? <laughs> the Stevens Green Shopping Centre, lo- 20 seconds is the longest you're on that escalator, right? You're not, wor- you're not working. You're not, you're not in the stock exchange. There's nowhere you're go, you can be going in Ireland that you have to be there in 20 seconds. How do we stop these things creeping in? We, by calling them out at every turn. <laughs> by actually saying to the guy in Starbucks, you know, calm down. You know, calm down, Wall Street. Pipe down. Yeah, that's it. Say <laughs> okay. to him, pipe down. You're not in the city now. It's Ireland. Come on, come on. <laughs> okay, Paul, you're a quick fire round. The movie you always laugh at. Uh, Dirty Rot Scoundrels. The actor or actress you always laugh at. John Candy. The book you've laughed out loud at. Uh, Flashman. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to write it down. The comedian you always laugh at. Uh, Billy Connolly. And finally, Paul, your best or worst joke. Did you hear about the cabbage's funeral? No. There was a big turn up at it. Beautiful. That's exactly what I was looking for. Paul Howard, thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Thanks, Darren. It's a real pleasure and thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Darren Garrahy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios.